Hey friends, this is Jay Bayer from Convince and Convert. Uh, I am joined on the episode by my special Texas friend, Adam Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Adam had to jump onto an aircraft, so he's not here for the uh, introduction of the show, which we actually record after uh, our guest leaves. But man, what a fascinating conversation this week with Neil Schaefer. Neil's been in uh, social media strategy almost since the beginning of the meeting. We've been doing a long time, a really smart guy, really wise. What I really liked about uh, this episode, really two things. One, Neil emphasis on B2B influencer marketing and how that really goes hand in glove with social media effectiveness. He's got a lot of interesting points to, to talk about there. Also, Neil really believes that social strategy is just a collection of social media experiments. So we talk a little bit about social media experiments and what you can use to improve your own social media program. Enjoy this episode. I think you will. It's Neil Schaefer from PDCA Social. This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert. Welcome to season six of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince and Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Hi, friends. This is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, and thanks for listening to Social Pros. Our sponsors this week include ICUC. Did you know that every one-star increase in your Yelp rating can lead to a 5 to 9% increase in revenue? Embracing and engaging with online reviews on Google, Yelp, Amazon, and more will directly impact your business. Get your free copy of the new ebook that I created in partnership with ICUC Social. It's called The Customers Always Write, The Power of Ratings and Reviews. You can get it at no cost. Go to bit.ly slash embrace reviews. That's bit.ly slash embrace reviews all lowercase. And of course, the show is brought to you by this week, our friends at Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Social is more important than ever for B2B marketers, yet some have a hard time using it effectively. A new complete guide from our friends at Salesforce will help. It's called the Complete Guide to Social Media for B2B Marketers. It reveals the best types of content to use, how to measure your social more effectively. It is super fantastic. Grab it at bit.ly slash social B2B guide. That's bit.ly slash social B, the number two, B, guide, all lowercase. And now, here's this week's Social Pros Podcast. This week on Social Pros, our guest is Neil Schaefer, president of PDCA Social, social media strategy genius, OG social practitioner, and a very (laughs) nice man. Neil, welcome to Social Pros. Thank you very much, Jay. It's an honor to be here. Awesome to have you here. I can't believe we haven't had this conversation uh, more recently. One of the things I think is fascinating about what you're doing right now, and and we'll get into this, but you're involved in a lot of different things in the social media world. But one of the things I think is fascinating is you're doing some executive uh, social media coaching, right? So working with business executives to kind of teach them the ways of, of social media. 
Tell me a little bit about that. And also what I'd love to know is what do executives ask you about social media that surprises you? So I work with a lot of executives through programs that I teach at. So I teach at Rutgers University Business School. You've probably heard of the other Schaefer, Mark Schaefer, who also teaches there. So uh, I teach as part of the social media marketing, digital marketing, and even created a social selling uh, curriculum for them, which is the first executive education program that has social selling. Also, I uh, work with executives at the Irish Management Institute in Dublin. I fly back to Ireland once a year. And I think for the most part, uh, the executives I work with, if they're in marketing, they're just not as well-versed. Um, they realize they need to get a lot better versed uh, a lot quicker. So they're just really trying to better navigate uh, the landscape and be able to make strategic decisions that are being recommended to them by people below them that obviously are, are yeah. more uh, involved in the space. Um, I also, you know, will often get executives outside of marketing that understand they need to better get social for their own uh, department. Uh, so I'd say there's two different, you know, types. Uh, I don't really get surprised at any question because I know that there's a whole, and you do as well, Jay, there's just a whole range of different people out there. And sorry about that. I keep getting phone calls from my wife who doesn't know I'm on a podcast right now. Um, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> be hard to explain, but anyway, what the hell is a podcast? But anyway, um, so yeah, so you know, I don't really get surprised. And I think that, and I always say this, whenever I work with more experienced professionals in the business world, even if they have a lack of experience in social, once they understand uh, the concepts and the principles and how it's applied, they get it really, really quickly. They don't question the ROI as much as others who have been deeply you know, embedded in the field who may have been asked it uh, by their superiors for so long and have been, able to un have been unable to answer. They usually get it pretty quickly. And uh, you know, I, I think that just goes to show, I, I always say it's new tools, old rules. You know, business, business obviously does change with every generation. Uh, and with technology, there's changes in communication and, and, and information flow and what have you. But obviously, business is still business. So uh, those those people get that. And I think they're able to leverage uh, the principles pretty quickly. Yeah, well said. Do you tend to focus more on on the strategic side of it? So here's the resource allocation and ROI of social and, and, and sort of social business, baking social into different parts of the enterprise. Or do executives sometimes get kind of wrapped around the axle? Well, tell me about this live video thing, right? Do, do, the, do, the, do the many, 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 many always changing tactics of social uh, tend to obfuscate or, or, or confuse uh, executives who perhaps are not doing this all day like myself and, and you and, and Adam Brown? So when I work with executives, there's, there's, or when I, when I teach social media in general, there's obviously two different ways of teaching it. There's the platforms, which is uh, the, the actual technology, right? You know, the LinkedIn's, the Facebooks, or the content mediums, podcasting, live stream, what have you. Then you have the concepts, and the concepts inevitably are way more powerful. The concepts like employee advocacy, like influencer marketing, like content marketing, and I prefer to stick with the concepts once we get through the concepts, they see how the platforms are being utilized, but they're at the mercy of the concepts. And without the concepts and the strategy, they really don't have much meaning. So I always try to say, hey, we'll get to that very, very specific platform question later. But once we get through all the concepts, you understand the power and why we use those platforms in those ways. And Neil, that has to be a challenge. Um, I know, and speaking to a lot of professors and, and faculty and, and educators, that creating the curriculum is something that, that takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. And typically, they want to build something that's slightly evergreen so that they can teach the same curriculum for a couple of years. You really can't do that in social because every week something is happening, something is changing, something's transforming. 
how do you keep your, your content fresh? And does that kind of challenge you in a way or does it actually help force you into kind of a forcing function to make uh, your, 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 your messaging and your curriculum and your training that much better? Adam, that, that's so funny. So many people say that to me and whether it is teaching or speaking uh, at different conferences, what have you, I will tell you that there are slides that I still show from 2010 that are still as applicable today as they are then. So not all of it, obviously. I, I think the changes that happen are in the platforms themselves, but the concepts are the same. There's always new case studies. There's always, uh, obviously, you know, new trends, slight differences from month to month, year to year. So there's always, uh, you know, I prefer to actually revise my presentations when I speak, when I teach, literally the night before, because I know there's always different changes going on, or at least a week before. And it drives these, you know, these conference organizers crazy because they want your presentation like a month, two months in advance. When it's like, hey, there might be changes. So I've always thrived on change. And I have always thought of speaking as an art form and teaching as an art form. And that content that I create, those modules become the art. Um, so I always try to make it as evergreen as possible so that a year from now, if someone's to look at the video or the slide deck, they're not going to shoot me down. And I've, I've always sort of had that philosophy, which I guess has helped me. But I do think that when you look at the concepts instead of the platforms, and I remember like eight years ago, someone speaking about Foursquare. And then like after the presentation, someone said, well, why do I need to be on Foursquare? And, and the guy said, well, you have to be there. Everyone's there. So I try to avoid... Uh, presentations like that that are going to be really how's your Pokemon Go strategy working out for you right now? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So so and and that lack business value. I think if you have business value and it ties into the language of Excel, that it it's going to be evergreen to a certain extent. And then you always have sort of the repivoting, the refreshing that goes on at a regular basis. But I, I think I have a good formula down. And uh, that's what I've been told as well from my students and people that see me speak. So that's my approach. It sounds like you do. And it sounds like it works. Uh, I, I agree. And I think Jay would that you, know, you, you teach the art. The art is a foundation in the science. That stuff that changes every 15 minutes is, is kind of that icing on, on the cake. You did mention one thing, Neil, that, that fascinates me. And you said it's a new class, a new curriculum, and that's on social selling. And I think all of us are very excited about that. We're certainly excited about that at, at Salesforce, as, as you could expect by, by our name. You, we, we've seen the evolution of social for social customer care. We've seen it from a marketing and a messaging and a branding standpoint. The social selling is kind of the next big hurrah. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you came up with that curriculum and how it's being received by executives and people who, who probably understandably know that operation side of their business. Yeah. So my background, professional background before social media is actually more in the sales biz dev space and the marketing PR space. And I think that's what's given me a unique uh, perspectives on social media marketing and what have you. Um, it also means that when I started out, there wasn't much money to be made in social selling. We didn't even have a term for it then. And I wrote this book called Maximizing LinkedIn for Sales and Social Media Marketing way back in 2011. And I, I think I was a little bit ahead of my time back then. Um, meanwhile, marketing, social media marketing was obviously booming. And that's where my career went and where my business went. So for me, the social selling was really getting back to my roots. And it was really a conversation with Rutgers uh, business school, you know, we want to create a new curriculum. What do you think is needed? And I said, you know, social selling was definitely one that I, I, I threw out there of a few topics. And when they went back to their client base, that, that's one that resonated with them as well. So obviously, social selling is going to be primarily for B2B companies. It can be for B2C, like financial services companies or what have you, but it's primarily B2B companies. And I think that this digital transformation that we are still undergoing and marketing is undergoing, a PR is undergoing it, well, sales is undergoing it as well. And I think it's taken sales 
a bit longer of a time to undergo that digital transformation for various reasons, but obviously it, it, it continues to evolve. It usually begins with those uh, up top understanding it and, and dictating they want to get their employees trained. And unfortunately, it doesn't happen as often or as quick as we'd like. I think obviously companies like Salesforce and your clients, especially Silicon Valley, high-tech leaders, B2B leaders, they were really early in adopting social selling. But the interesting thing about social selling is we also see with employee advocacy, this other push that your salespeople become or should become your biggest advocates, right? And I think that that has also helped accelerate social selling programs from the marketing side saying, hey, we're doing all this content marketing. If the number one way in which content is consumed is in social, we have a whole army of people that could be sharing this and help generating more, more, more visibility for our content and helping them with their sales as well. So it's really a win-win once everybody gets on the same page and understands it. So it's funny, you know, a lot of the social selling training I do is, is either uh, through sales organizations or through HR internal training organizations, but some is actually from marketing organizations saying, hey, we need to get our sales team on the same page here. So it, you know, it, it is, uh, it, it's slowly evolving. Um, I think there's still a lot of room for improvement and for transformation, which really excites me, uh, but we're getting there. So you know, as always, whenever I do any presentation, any teaching, any speaking, I do a reset and say, hey, if I was the attendee, what would I want to learn from this? What actionable insight am I going to get that's going to help me do my job better? And that's really where I started. So I started with a blank slate and I went out there and, and I asked people, hey, who do you look up to in the social selling space? You know, who are the authors? Who are the bloggers? What are the main topics for my own social selling you know, presentations that I've done? And really built a curriculum with uh, five instructors, including myself, um, covering a, a wide variety of, of, uh, of topics that I think are essential uh, for any leader. Um, but even for those uh, practitioners or, or you know, sales managers that want to become sort of the, the change catalyst within their organization. So yeah, really excited about the program. It was just released actually in March of this year. So we're still in our first year, but uh, so far so good. I'm, I'm very excited. I want to learn more about that offline because uh, social selling is, is near and dear to my heart. Neil, I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked uh, a couple of our guests, but I think you're uh, positioned to have an interesting insight. One of the things that, that Jay and I often talk about on the show is, is kind of the homeroom for social. Where does social live in an organization? And typically, that's the marketing or the communications org. Here you are talking to social executives. They may report up to the chief sales officer, chief operating officer, somewhere like that. In those instances, are we seeing kind of that quote-unquote homeroom for social changing? Because, you know, marketing and communications are typically a cost center in an organization. Sales is typically the profit center. Curious when you're speaking to these executives, how they're kind of wrestling with this. And are they accepting that, you know, at the end of the day, the social kind of technologies live over with the CMO or the chief communications officer? Or are they saying, no, 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 this, 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 this is my homeroom? Well, I, I still think it is marketing and communications, don't get me wrong. But I also think, you know, similar to the story of the motor, that in the 19th century had this one big motor that uh, controlled all these different appliances that now every appliance has a little motor inside. It's the same thing with social. I mean, every department ends up using it throughout the enterprise. Uh, it's like the fax, mach- fax machine, like the cell phone. It obviously is a lot more interactive and is a lot more compelling for various reasons in terms of how it can amplify word of mouth marketing, what have you. Um, but that's the reality. So, you know, every department is going to be leveraging social in different ways. Uh, but obviously, when we think about the budget that goes into social, it's primarily going to come from marketing and communications. 
um, the tools, obviously the paid social budgets, working with influencers, what have you. So that, that doesn't change any. But you know, as I always say, whenever I work with businesses and social strategies, every every department that ha- that has that should have a say or that's going to be impacted by this should have a seat at the table when we have our discussions and build out a strategy. And it's really no different. So yeah, at the end of the day, marketing is still going to have the budget, but it's really interesting. I mean, and Jay, maybe you've seen as well. Uh, I talk to more and more people. It's like, well, I'm in charge of organic social. Paid social is run by another department. Sure. Uh, it, it's almost time. like the budgets are being controlled actually where the money's being spent. And if that's the case, yeah. then it's obviously going to be marketing. Yeah, the same thing happened with search uh, and and other digital disciplines before that. You know, once you start treating it as an ad, then people who know more about ads tend, tend to get involved. How would you describe the state of social today, Neil? If I said, what, you know, what, what's your take on it all right now? What would you, what would you say? My take on social in terms of business use of social, in terms of... Yeah, just kind of where we're at. Like you've been doing this a long time, as I said, the show as of Adams yeah. has, since kind of the beginning. And so what, what would you say is kind of the state of social now? How would you, how would you kind of describe, uh, you know, the present day? I, I would say it's definitely maturing. Um, I still think that, uh, there's opportunities. I I think obviously we've seen a decline in organic social reach for businesses across every platform. And while some platforms still perform a little bit better that, or, you know, it becomes like the telephone book over time. If you want to get a really nice full place display ad, you got to pay for it. And, and at the end of the day, it really does become pay to play. Paid social becomes more competitive uh, as more and more businesses compete for a limited news feed. So I've been talking a lot about, I know you have as well, Jay. Um, obviously, we, we have the content side of the piece, but it's also about leveraging the people out there who do get preference in the news feed. And these are people, right? It's people power. So it's a combination of employees, its partners and its influencers. And I think that's where it is still very underdeveloped. And I think if you look at the trends and the way that the algorithms are, they're going to continue to favor people over brands as we go forward. Um, so I think that's really the opportunity. And obviously, social selling ties into that influencer marketing employee advocacy. Uh, and, and that's why I talk a lot about that content marketing, yes, but obviously more and more user generated content from, from these people. So I, I think that companies are still slow to recognize that these take long term relationships, long term investments, long term training. Um, and we're sort of in the middle of this companies trying to get to grips with this new reality. Uh, and trying to move forward on it. Um, there's still a lot of small businesses out there who are way behind. I won't even talk about them, but for majority of businesses, they get it, they're doing it. They uh, There's probably greater opportunities for ROI um, that they're going to seek in the near future. And I think it's all going to come down to uh, the people. If if you were the social media czar, we put you in charge of the whole of the whole thing. And you had, you know, two two wishes. What what would you what would you rub the lamp and make true? Well, first of all, I'd want to have my tools and my reporting set in place. I always said uh, marketing should be like a mixing board, like a soundboard at a, at a recording studio. So I want to know when I up the lever on any given thing, any part of the marketing mix, what effect it's going to have on the ROI. So I'm very much, I mean, PDCA social my company comes from Professor Edwards Deming, plan, do, check, action, right? It's all an experiment. So I want to be testing all these different things. So I I never throw away any particular part of the marketing mix, but I'd want to make sure that every part of it is there and it's all being reported on and we have the systems in place and the processes in place. So that would be my wish. Uh, It's really more of an infrastructure wish, but it's also part infrastructure, part experimental, that there's a lot of things we need to be doing if we don't have the relationships, we need to start developing. If we don't have the programs, we need to start creating them and really moving forward. 
I love it. Neil, I know one of the things you told us before the show uh, that, that frustrates you right now around social is, is poorly executed automation. And automation and AI are, are the big things right now. And I think especially as, as it relates to social selling, uh, you know, a subject that you're an expert on, you know, as we see the conversations begin to kind of go from marketing, which is more storytelling, to sales, which is perhaps more transactional, it's, it's hard to resist the temptation to automate that because they're call to action, they're transactional types of messaging. How do we step back and how do we step away from that and make sure that we're not over automating these things and we're keeping the genuine, authentic messaging that hopefully our marketing and communications brethren are, are all about? Yeah, it's a great question. In fact, I just two days ago finally published an ebook on how AI is revolutionizing influencer marketing, a very, very new topic. Uh, at Marketo World a few months ago, Marketo talked about how they are starting to leverage AI as well. On the other hand, I was on a webinar with a social selling uh, tool provider maybe a year ago that were already talking about AI and social selling. So I think what people misunderstand is the compelling use case for AI, the way Marketo is using it and the way that uh, this influencer marketing platform company called Open Influence and I'm working with is using it, is it's really in the analysis. It's really in the insight. It's really being able to automate and discover things that would just take humans a long time to be able to process the data and discover. So it's really, AI is sort of in the back, right? It's not the front. And I go back to Seth Godin, who says the only jobs that are gonna remain for humans are the, are the human facing jobs that require artists, right? And, and sales, and there's not every sale, and, and I read a report that you know uh, self-service e-commerce platforms are gonna take out 50% of B2B sales for people's jobs. I don't know, but when there is a high ticket item on the line and it requires people to be able to communicate with various people throughout the organization, uh, it obviously requires the touch of a person to be able to navigate those waters and to be able to make that sale. That's just a reality. I don't think that's going away. I would uh, obviously, in terms of communications, uh, try to keep it as personalized as possible. And I know that chatbots and AI are getting better at personalization. But you know, I, I, like I said, I really do think it comes down to the ticket price item, the complexity of the sale, um, and then your own organization. I mean, if you can't handle, if you don't have enough salespeople to handle uh, incoming calls and you have to use a chatbot or some form of AI or machine learning to process those before you can hire someone as a stopgap solution, then I get it. I sort of question whether it's a long-term solution. Now, as the technology gets better, that'll change. And I think maybe at the initial, you know, when you call a call center, being able to initially navigate to the right person using AI technology, I think is a great way. So I, don't, I think, you know, we, we, we want to use AI to make our work more efficient and to be able to do things that we just do not have the human power to do. But a sale requires this, this human artistry. And even if it's an inside sale, you still have someone writing an email or on the phone. And I've seen cases in which the automation, obviously, it just it is not there yet. And if you're trying to make a sale, you don't want to take that risk. So if you want to invest in technology, start with social selling or you just jump into AI would be my, uh, you know, start. You, you have to have what I see, you know, marketers make the same mistake with, with tools. They don't have the process in place, but they see the tool and they think the tool replaces the process. But without having the process, they never use the tool properly and they screw everything up. Right. And AI is the exact same thing. Get the process in place and see if there might be a way to use it. I mean, I don't know, right? And this is all going to evolve as time goes by. But right now, I think it's in the background. It's in the data analysis uh, where the biggest value is. I love that. Yeah, I want to ask you a little bit more about your book, uh, The Business of Influence. Do you feel like today there is too much influencer marketing? 
or not enough influencer marketing? I think there is not enough. I think we hear too much on just consumer facing brands. Um, but it goes back to that same concept that if we want to get heard, if we want to get heard organically or in social media, where we know everyone spends the most time, you know, you have organic social, you have paid social, or you can somehow leverage other people. And that's where uh, the influencer marketing piece comes in, is the ability to leverage other people. Yeah, and, that, and, that, and, that, and that's true for two reasons, right? One, we trust one another more than we trust messages from businesses. And algorithmically, that is also so, right? That, that algorithmically, we're, we're going to we're going to see messages from real people uh, more often than we're going to see messages from business, at least, at least in terms of how the algorithms are, are deployed today. Correct. And number three, we, we don't trust ads uh, as much as we trust recommendations from others. So that, that's, you know, we, we have a few different trends that continue to move in that direction. So I think that most companies are severely underinvested in influencer marketing. I, and I think especially when we look at B2B companies and the potential for B2B influencer marketing, you see a, a gap in the potential there. So, you know, my whole take and the reason I'm writing the book is I always write books where I think there's a need in the market. So yep. when I wrote Maximize Your Social and Social Media Strategy, I thought the need was there in 2013. In 2018, the biggest need by far is working with influencers. And a lot of marketers, I think, have been miseducated and misunderstand the field. Just a few days ago, you know, a few marketing authors and influencers, we were having a Twitter conversation. Oh, why would you want to work with someone that's just in it for the money? Or it seems so unauthentic. And we're, we're beyond that. I mean, influencer marketing for a lot of consumer-facing brands is mainstream right now, right? So the yeah. question is, how do, you, how do you root out the fraudulent influencers? How do you find real influencers? How do you connect with communities? How do you give them artistic freedom, what have you? Um, but for B2B, it's, you know, it, it's really about creating programs, right? It's really about creating long-term relationships that are not one-night stands, for lack of a better word. It's a campaign. Yeah. yeah, it's not a campaign. It's, it's about building community. And the fact is, you have a, you, you have, of the community of people that might be interested in your product, you already have your fan base, right? You might be able to target a little bit beyond that with paid ads, but there's always this huge subset that will require you working with, partnering with other people in order to gain uh, access to or gain influence with. And that's where the influence of Bill. So, you know, in digital media, influencers... Uh, are the media in some, or they're part of the media. And when you think of it that way, you understand why all these companies, a lot of B2B companies are creating titles that say influencer relations, right? It, yes. it all makes sense. Uh, yes. and, and that's the underinvestment. Well, I mean, that's why we've been doing this show for doing this show for eight years, right? Because we <laughs> want to make sure people know about Salesforce Marketing Cloud and our other sponsors. And, uh, you know, that it, it, it all, it all works together. Absolutely. So yeah, so that's why I'm writing the book. And I'm really hoping that it sort of triggers an explosion in every company saying, you know, I don't know how much they invest in it, but it, it should become a mainstream part of your marketing mix. So we talked about, you know, paid organic influencers should be right up there and it should be measured uh, like anything else. But I, I think we're going to get to that day in the very, very near future. Consumer facing brands, uh, startups that have relied on Instagram marketing got there a yeah. lot quicker. Uh, yeah. certain, certain industries and consumer facing brands like fashion and, and, and what have you have gotten there quicker as well. But I think we're all going to get there to some extent. You may be the, the most prominent social strategist on the scene who has a degree in Asian studies. I don't, I, have, I don't have actual math on that, but I'm willing to, to put it out there as a supposition you still do a lot of work in in Japan. Uh, talk talk about the differences you see in social strategy in Asia versus the strategies that you deploy here in the U.S. Well, Asia is hard to sum up in one word. So yes, obviously that's a, that's like that's like saying, "Tell me about social media on Mars." Uh, so I understand <laughs> there's more than one country there and more than one. Uh, uh, but we only have limited time on the podcast, so I'm going to have you sum it up. 
Sure. So, you know, I speak fluent Japanese and Chinese, and this is before social media. And whenever you look at these lists of these random lists of, you know, top influencers, what have you, it's like, you know, I'm the only guy who speaks Japanese. So I got to take advantage of that fact. Um, so I've, I continue to invest in the Japanese market, go out there proactively. I do have clients out there. I do speak there. So I can speak to Japan specifically. I think that B2B social and digital in general, is 10 to 15 years behind the United States. So there's tremendous opportunity there. That's a long time. That's a lot, that's a lot of years. Yeah, it is. Uh, B2C uh, is still behind. I think their approach to social is very much a, a, a digital approach, a paid social approach to social. Mm-hmm. But what's really interesting, I participated in an event just last week in Tokyo, and they came up with this new term that I'm actually writing a blog post on as we speak called community marketing. And it's something I'd never really heard of. But the thought is that at the end of the day, marketers are really ideally are connectors of company and, and people in the company and resources and products and services to the general community. And they have to be the connector to, to those two ends. Um, and therefore, the community marketing approach involved you know, some aspect of employee advocacy, some aspect of influencer marketing, uh, some aspect of community management. It was actually really refreshing. And I, I thought it was really, really Japanese in, in the approach. So uh, it, it is obviously different. Um, the social networks, LinkedIn never caught up there. So Facebook is used as the LinkedIn. Um, people get very serious on Facebook. I mean, we've seen fa- Facebook get old here in the, in the U.S. and get more serious as well, but it's taken extremely seriously there. Um, Twitter, uh, you know, I think one out of every eight tweets comes from Japan. So it's really popular there as well. And then you have this platform called Line, which is like WeChat. Um, which, you know, has 20 times more people on it than Facebook or Twitter. So it, it, it is the, the Facebook messenger, the WhatsApp, which also is trying to develop more social networking, you know, social media marketing capabilities. So that's sort of the landscape. And what's really interesting that media consumption in Japan is really, really high. People read a lot of books, magazines, do a, read a lot on the internet, do a lot of research. So um, there's great opportunities for content marketing for branded media as well there. So I, I see it as a land of opportunity. Uh, with the Tokyo Olympics coming up, more and more companies are investing there. So uh, yeah, it's a great place. And if your company is not developing, if, if you know, I know Salesforce obviously very active there, but if you want to get a piece of the Japanese market, um, a lot of Japanese companies look at companies in the US, even in the social tool space, and they'll say, huh, that's a great idea. We'll develop it here because these, uh, these foreign companies will never come to Japan. And I've seen a lot of companies develop a, a lot of startups, develop a lot of technologies just because their American counterparts never showed up. So yeah. um, definitely go out there and I'd be more than happy to talk with anybody listening to this if they want more advice in the Japanese market. That's very kind of you. Speaking of which, it's a good segue. How do people get a hold of you at uh, PDCA? Well, I am Neil Schaefer on every platform. So that is really the <laughs> best well way. And even on Snapchat, N-E-A-L-S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R uh, and N-E-A-L-S-C-H affer.com is really the best place to find me. My PDCA social, my, my job has traditionally been more on the consulting side, but it was a Japanese client that wanted me to launch an agency to help them with their North American uh, online marketing. So that's why I launched PDCA social. So the landing page is there and it's only in Japanese. So you can okay. go to pdcasocial.com. You're not going to understand. Go to pdcasocial.com to see a Japanese version of, uh, yeah. of what Neil does. But probably you should go to neilshafer.com, S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R. And we'll link it up at socialpros.com, all the show notes. And of course, it's a good time to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that all 340 episodes of this show uh, are available, full transcripts, full audio, full everything at socialpros.com. Now, Neil, one of the things I noticed uh, in your bio, and we haven't talked about this in the past, is that you are the team manager of a youth soccer organization. 
I am the team manager of my son's high school hockey team in my extensive free time. So I ask you, what, what lessons have you learned uh, managing a soccer team that you can then apply to social media? Strategy? You have to be passionate about what you do. And if you're not passionate about your job and you're not always trying to do your best and you're not trying to make time, it's never going to happen. So being a manager of the soccer team actually provides me the discipline that I try to apply to my job. Uh, because if you work in social media, you probably have ADHD, you're probably all over the place, right? Um, so discipline's important. But I think the other thing is that, um, and I, I guess you can apply this to working if you work with agencies or if you have employees or if you work with influencers, is really when, you know, my son, I know, puts a lot more into his effort because I'm there and he knows I'm the manager. So when yeah. you are personally invested in the programs and personally invested in relationships, uh, that makes such a big difference. And sort of goes back to that talk we had about AI, right? And how it doesn't seem people are invested. Yeah, I'm not sure that's true for my son, who's on the high school hockey team. I think he might put in less effort because I'm there. I don't know. I maybe I have like a... I might okay, need that's to see age some. thing. My, my son is yeah. only 11, so... <laughs> yeah, mine's almost 18. So it's a little different deal. There's, yeah. the, there's, the bitter, there's a bitter uh, bitter element to that that, that does, tends to seep in. I love that you talked about that social media strategy is really just a collection of social media experiments. I, 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 that philosophy is so great. If you had to recommend to listeners, and this is an unfair question, but it's never stopped me in the past. And I said to you, Neil, recommend one experiment to our listeners in social that they probably aren't doing right now. What would you tell them? I would say, you know, I, and I know your listeners are obviously very, very savvy. Um, but, you know, if, if you haven't been experimenting in influencer marketing, take some of your budget, put it there. If you haven't been tagging and categorizing your content, that, that's like the number one thing. And I see businesses that are still randomly posting on social when, you know, categorize it and try a new category or try to shake up that balance and see what happens in terms of impressions, in terms of engagement, what have you. Um, there, there's a lot of different things you can do. And, and that's why, you know, I'll have people say, Neil, what's your like number one social media strategy tip? It's like, it's the application. Every business is different. It's an art. I mean, I, yeah. You know, so it's hard to say one universal thing, but, but hopefully, I mean, content is a huge thing, right? Content medium, trying a different medium or a new platform is another thing, uh, a new type of paid ad. Um, obviously, working with influencers or working with new influencers to compare them with your previous influencers. Yep. Uh, employee advocacy program. Hey, let's take some investment in our paid ads and actually invest it into training our employee advocates or starting a program for social selling. So, yeah, it's idea. all about yeah, it's all about taking a little bit of money, you know, 5%, 10% of budget from somewhere, putting it somewhere else, doing it for a month measuring uh, and going from there. Yeah, I love it. Last two questions for you, Neil, and thanks for being on the show. If I asked you to give one tip for somebody who wants to become a social pro, somebody out there who may or may not have a BA in Asian studies, but wants to be the next Neil Schaefer, <laughs> what would you tell them? What, what advice would you give them? I always say that you need to be able to build up a, uh, you, you need to be able to experiment and build up case studies and build up a track record. And I think once you build up a track record, you can take that to any business you want to go to. The best way to build up a track record is either with your own brand and you start with your own brand by blogging, creating content around what you're an expert in or the field that you want to start working in. Even if you're not an expert in marketing automation, learn about it, read books, yeah. read about what companies are doing, talk about the case studies that have been published, right? Or you work with a nonprofit because there are tons of nonprofits that would love to have your services and you build track records with not, you become uh, a, uh, a, a parallel uh, nonprofit social media manager where you work with multiple sure. nonprofits, maybe sure. 
five different nonprofits, five days of the week. There's no lack of excuse for not doing either one of those. And that's going to give you the best experience. And you're going to, you're going to become more, um, more aware of just everything. Once you have responsibility and you start seeing the results for your actions, you measure it and you start to tweak things. It, it, it gets to be a lot of fun. That's super good advice. And I'll bet you a number of our, of our listeners have, have gone down that road, have started on their own brands or nonprofits or small businesses and then bigger businesses then have the track record. And now they're working for larger companies. That's really, really sound. Neil, last question for you. If you could do a video call with any living person, who would it be and why? Uh, Elon Musk, the king of innovation right now. Just uh, the way he thinks is, uh, is not like an earthling. Um, and the way he tries to solve problems is, is very uh, unique and refreshing. And I mean, we need innovators to... You know, it's funny, I, I was in Spain uh, for the first time in Barcelona um, in June. And I went to some of these buildings that Gaudi built like, you know, hundred years Amazing. ago. And the technology for a lot of it hasn't changed much. In fact, I think yeah. we've sort of gone back in the technical evolution uh, in some way. So there's a lot of things about mankind that just haven't advanced that much in the last hundred years. Yes. The, if you work in the internet, of course, that's all new. Um, but there's still a lot of, a, a lot of things we can be doing. And I think Elon Musk is really that, that big thinker that's trying to take us uh, to uh, to new uh, innovation and, and uh, new advancements for, for human technology. So without a doubt, no questions asked, Elon Musk. Probably the most often answered uh, person to that question here on the show. Make it happen, Jay. Uh, yeah, I should work on that. Well, and, and, and you know, more to the point, even in the social media context, uh, a great example of, of an executive that uses social media to communicate directly to the media, to shareholders, to some degree, to employees and to customers. Uh, that, you know, the same way that, that, you know, some people love it, some people hate it, the same way that the president uses Twitter to communicate directly to people. Uh, Mr. Musk does the same thing. Uh, and, and you just don't see as many executives at that level just saying, hey, I'm just going to tweet out what I think. So I think that's a, a pretty great example as well. When you have executives saying, well, I'm not comfortable being on Twitter. I need to have my PR firm write my tweets for me, et cetera. And they're like, well, maybe I don't. Yeah. I mean, it could, he might also get a hand slap or wrist slap for uh, what he said about taking. Uh, yeah, for the most recent <laughs> set of tweets. Yes, that may have been a, that may have been a misstep, but, but hey, nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? Exactly. Neil, thank you so much uh, for being here. Neil Schaefer, ladies and gentlemen, president of PDCA Social. Also find him at neilschaefer.com. Look for the new book, The Business of Influence, uh, all about the impact of influencer marketing, especially in B2B. Uh, it's going to be spectacular. My friend, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is this week's episode of Social Pros. As I mentioned, you can find all the show archives, the transcripts, the links, all the stuff at socialpros.com. If you like the show, make sure you tell one of your friends who works in the biz about the Social Pros podcast. Adam and I would sure appreciate that. We'll be back next week with another episode of Social Pros. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext. And it's produced by my team and I at Convince & Convert Media. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceandconvert.com.